I could see this person killing that person because of this. <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. My God, what can we do? He has us by the hip. Run like smoke and oakum. We'll have to bend every sail. We'll put up our pocket handkerchiefs if we have to. We must survive this day. Hello, everybody. How's everything going today? Hello. This is Regatopia episode 52. Mm. And today we'll be doing Master and Commander Far Side of the World once mm. again welcoming in people who are watching us on a tuesday on twitch and youtube hello everybody thank you for coming out and chatting while we talk while we this you are hearing me talk <laughs> um uh how you doing today jeremy i'm doing outstanding and how about you <clears throat> i am doing great i am doing great um i can't wait to talk about this movie today uh, but uh, do you have any small recommends for us today? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I'm very excited about my smalls today. Um, I mm -hmm. watched, I had seen scenes, bits and pieces of this movie, but I'd never watched it from beginning to end. Uh, it's 2013's Lone Survivor uh, with uh, Mark Wahlberg, um, Taylor Kish, and then Emil Hirsch and Ben Foster who were mm. in Alpha Dog together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and this is Peter Berg directing. Peter Berg loves to do two things, to make movies with Mark Wahlberg and <laughs> to make movies about real life events. Uh, yep. Deepwater Horizon, uh, whatever the name of the Boston bombing one is, Patriot's Day or something. Yes, Patriot's Day, I think, um, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of those two movies I just named. Um, mm -hmm. Peter Berg, of course, made Battleship, which I'm not a big fan of, but I think he's <laughs> yeah. a capable filmmaker. He made Friday Night Lights. Um, and uh, Lone Survivor impressed me. I was pretty riveted. It's a true story of four Navy SEALs in Afghanistan who are scouting out a village where they think this guy is that they want to bomb. And while they're kind of camouflage on the mountainside, um, some goat farmers come upon them. Um, and <clears throat> instinctively, they draw guns. And then they have this huge debate about what well, what do we do? Because if we let them go, they're just going to go tell the Taliban down at the bottom of the mountain that there are American soldiers up here and we're dead. Uh, but we can't kill them. That's immoral. Uh, and they basically debate that for a while, uh, decide to let them go. Uh, and one of them does indeed run down the mountain and tell the Taliban that there are four American soldiers up on top of the mountain. And the rest of the movie is them trying to survive. Uh, mm. And the title suggests that they don't all make it. Right. Uh, uh, and I would say um, <clears throat> it is um, brutal in that there are many scenes of them falling off parts of the mountain and landing on rocks. Many. Uh, oh, there's one oh. scene where the only option they have is to throw themselves off of a cliff and land on rocks. Um, <clears throat> and the movie doesn't flinch about that stuff. Um, so uh, anyway, that's that's my recommend. I was pretty riveted. Hmm. Uh, I'm not always the biggest 
fan of Peter Berg or Mark Wahlberg, but it is based on a true story, and that kind of made it extra compelling to me, uh, and I enjoyed it. So there you go. <clears throat> I don't think I've seen any of these Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg movies. Mm. And it's weird. Like, I feel like I know what those movies are before I even watch them. And that's probably, that's, it is wrong of me to, to assume what those movies are without even seeing them, but they all, none of them appealed to me in any way. And I don't know why that is. I mean, I, I feel like I've seen deep water horizon, but I think it's just because there's so many of these kind of these movies. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, uh, this, when this came out, I was like, oh, okay, Peter Berg, Mark Warburg, okay, okay, I don't want to really watch that. But uh, if if you like this one and you said that the other two weren't didn't float your boat, maybe I'll give this one a, a Yeah, I mean, it gave me vibes of, uh, I mean, it's way better than that fucking Owen Wilson Rescue Me from Behind, oh, Behind Enemy Lines is the name of that movie. I almost Ah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if people regard that movie very well, but uh, yeah. when it came out, I remember it got, a decent reception it's was way better than that um mm -hmm. and i do see some i do see some chat some negative mark Wahlberg chat and i want to tell you that is totally acceptable if you want to, uh, to be that way he mm -hmm. has done some horrible horrible things however i used to also uh avoid his work and call him a nasty person until i learned that uh, the chief person he had wronged as a teenager had forgiven him um and he has tried very hard to make amends for at least that act. Um, mm -hmm. And if the man against whom the crime was committed uh, is willing to move past that, um, then I decided I'm, I'm not going to be angry at it anymore, but that is not to say you can't be angry at him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. <clears throat> exactly. Um, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm late to the party on, uh, on this one, but everybody was talking about this series and I decided to catch up on it and it's the white Lotus. Ooh. And, uh, so I, I did not, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I went in not really knowing what this series was about whatsoever. I just knew people were talking about it and they were, you know, the, you got a lot of like Jennifer Coolidge love and Aubrey Plaza love and things like that. So you'll be surprised if you haven't watched the white Lotus, like I did. And you start the first season, you don't see any Aubrey Plaza there. Um, and because the first season's a completely is a, is a cast that's is only for that season essentially oh, okay now jennifer coolidge does uh cross over into the second season but she is the only one i believe Interesting. um uh well and john grease who plays a character that's like his like uh, becomes her husband later sort of transfers over to the second season but um but uh, the first season is it's about this it's about this hotel that all these rich people go to and uh and the very first episode of both seasons start off with you knowing that somebody in the cast well somebody in the cast somebody in this world is gonna die mm. uh, don't know who it is and i don't know if a term has been coined for this but i tried to say this on a, a recent behind the sin sins thing uh and it hasn't come out yet but uh who dies it is ah, uh, who dies it who it's dies also it. a whodunit though because you don't know exactly who's going to be killing whom in the in the movie uh but or in the in the show but you you just follow these people's lives and there's like all sorts of like you know reasons why any one person might kill another person all the way through it and these rich people especially certain ones are really awful people they're really bad like i 
the, the, I mean, they, I guess they try in their best way to seem like nice people for the most part, but they're not very, very good people. The first season has Connie Britton, Steve Zahn, uh, has Sydney Sweeney as their daughter. Hmm. Um, it has, uh, uh, Alexand- uh, uh, Alexander, uh, Alexander Daddario is in it. Um, the, there's, uh, uh, and, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff just going on. There are a lot of like, uh, you know, sort of, you know, uh, crazy events going on and and uh, by the end of it yes someone will die and uh and and it's very uh it wraps up in what i think seven episodes in each one of them the first season you're going to watch the first season go why was everybody really talking about this show because it's kind of average if you have if you really want me to to be truthful that first season even with all that uh, star power that's there it's kind of average jennifer coolidge i think steals that whole season Hmm. um I think that's the reason why she comes back for season two, where they set it in Italy, and there's way more intrigue, way more danger, way more things going on in that one that you're like, okay, I can see where this this is going. That one has Aubrey Plaza in it, and that one has Theo James, and it has uh, – um, who else is in this one? It's just hard to, hard to uh, go through all the whole thing. Oh, F. Murray Abraham, Michael Imperioli is in it. Um, there's all these different families going through their different things. And, uh, each one has this sort of like, okay, well, I could see this person killing that person because of this. <laughs> and I could see this person killing that person because of whatever. And then, you know, uh, it, it always comes to, uh, I felt like the second season was where they really shined. And, uh, at the end of the second season, Mike White was talking about uh, his ideas for the third season. And I really want to see that. I think that will be a great, uh, great thing. Anyway, the white Lotus, if you haven't seen it, uh, very, very, uh, uh, short, uh, if you want to get through it all, uh, they've only, I think they had 14 episodes between the two seasons. So it's wild to me that this is from the guy who wrote orange County. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Mike White has had a crazy career. Man. He has, if you look man. at like i remember i remember seeing mike white in this very obscure movie called chuck and buck that was the first time i ever saw him he wrote that movie and he's in it with like one of the american pie directors who's like a an actor in that movie it's like oh, chris wow. white's I think oh, it's okay. chris white's and uh and like and it and and that's a very unusual movie and then we just start mike white just starts showing up as a writer for a lot of things i think he also wrote school of rock i think he did uh, yeah and he's he's uh, he's the teacher that's in school of rock that gets uh uh who jack black replaces i believe yes. uh uh but uh, but uh yeah mike white is that's, that's just a fascinating career i'd, I'd yeah. love to see a like deep dive on him someday we probably will having more mm-hmm. and more success the further he goes um yep. <clears throat> my second small recommend i just watched sunday with my wife it's a 2022 amazon original film called catherine called birdie um <clears throat> starring huh. bella ramsey who yeah, is yeah i thought that looked familiar she's the star of the la- co-star of the last of a show on hbo and she also uh stole every scene she was in in game of thrones as a tiny queen uh who rules over like 60 people but uh is a badass um mm-hmm. <clears throat> she is actually english which i didn't know uh until like two weeks ago um <clears throat> and uh this this is based on a book from 1994 and she plays birdie she is the only daughter of a lord in basically medieval england and I will tell you right now there are not going to be very many story surprises here if you've seen 
any movie about a father trying to marry his daughter off and the daughter doesn't want to marry. She would rather be with somebody for love. Um, then you probably will predict some of the beats of this story. But Bella Ramsey is so freaking good. She's mm. so charming. And she, this character more than like in Pride and Prejudice, you have a, an intelligent resistance from Elizabeth, right? From the idea of being married off. But Bertie sabotages every potential suitor that comes her way uh, intentionally. Uh, at one point, she's on the table growling and barking like a dog. And unfortunately, that particular suitor is turned on by that behavior. Mm -hmm. um, she's the star of the show, as she should be. Lena Dunham made this movie. Um, and uh, Lena Dunham, whatever your opinions on her, uh, personally, she's a good writer. Um, mm -hmm. And this is very sharp, well-written uh, very, very funny. Uh, she's playing a 14 year old like she is in the last of us. Uh, and she's playing it just fine. Um, but just really, really charmed. Uh, Joe Allen is in this, uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Uh, and then an actor named Andrew Scott plays her father. And I had seen him before. Uh, yeah. Andrew Scott's in a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. uh, yeah. <clears throat> His dark um, materials and, uh, 1917 plea bag. <clears throat> Yeah, isn't isn't uh, isn't Andrew Scott the uh, was it? He's the voice of uh, one of the people on the phone and drive. Oh, um, maybe um, he is. Well, I mean, that's not the only. I mean, he's in a lot of lot a lot of things, but like, yeah, that's him. He's he's uh, he's 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 the guy who Tom Hardy is talking to and telling him to do the poor and all that. That's who's on the other end of the line of that uh, and drive and not drive. Um, uh, lock the lock yeah okay when you said drive i was like i don't remember too many phone calls in that movie but yeah, yeah. and i do want to talk about uh bella ramsey because uh she is gender fluid um but she said in an interview two weeks ago she doesn't give a damn what pronouns you use um mm -hmm. and wikipedia is using she so that's the reason that i was going with that um mm -hmm. and if i see her say that she prefers they them i will absolutely do my best uh, to change my language there yep <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, okay. Um, I finally got around to seeing uh, Tar, the Kate Blanchett movie. Oh, nice. Um, uh, and I, I'm going to recommend this movie based on her performance. I think the movie itself can can kind of leave you cold. It starts off like very like uh, uh, it starts off very like uh, crackling and and like wow, what kind of movie we're we about to watch? This seems like a like. You know, this seems like a very like on the roller coaster type of thing. Uh, but, uh, but I'm gonna recommend it because of Kate Blanchett herself, because to play a character like this, um, she is a, uh, a world renowned composer who is uh, about to lead a German orchestra. And there's a lot of firsts involved here. First woman, first, all that, but she's not really, she doesn't really care about stuff like that. She doesn't really care about being the first woman or anything like that. Uh, in fact, a lot of her character has to do with uh, whether or not you should uh, consider the identity of a care of a of a person when you're considering their their uh, uh, their work as a composer. Hmm. And there's a full scene here. Now, I don't know how much this will piss off uh, piss off certain people or whatever, but like. There is a guy that she's trying to teach. I think this is at a Juilliard class or whatever. And the guy in the Juilliard class is like, I don't, 
I don't uh, respond to some of these composers because this guy was a cis white male who was, you know, who was married and had 13 kids and blah, blah, blah. He talks about all these composers as far as they're like who they were and what they're, what they were about. And she tries to prove to him that it doesn't matter what this person's like life was like, does that, does their work, you know, sort of hold up on their own and everything. Mm. And he ends, she ends up, like just devastating this dude in a really asshole manner, by the way, it wasn't, it's not, it's there's nobody comes off looking good in this scene or whatever. But, um, but, uh, as it goes through her, her sort of her, um, the way she is and all that, she's taking command of this German orchestra and there's a lot of politics involved. Uh, you know, she's married, uh, she's married to this woman and they have a kid and they, and she, it seems like Lydia may cheat on her quite a bit, but they have some sort of love for each other and they know, and they, they want to, they want to do what's best for the kid and all that type of thing. But there's a lot of politics involved in this orchestra, even and and either either perceived politics or real politics or, or, uh, or, um, uh, perceived, uh, like, uh, favoritism in certain cases or real f- favoritism. And so there's a, an assistant that she has that wants to have this, uh, assistant conducting job. She's doing everything she can. She's a, she's basically a Smithers to, <laughs> to tar and, and, uh, and, and she's up for this, uh, assistant conducting thing. And at the, at a crucial moment, she doesn't, Tar doesn't give her that job, gives it, tries to try out for other people and stuff. And she Ooh. constantly pisses people off this way. And it gets to the point where the movie takes a turn where you're like, I don't know if I really, really wanted it to get to this point. Like th- this is not the arc that I was expecting out of this movie. Uh, has, has a lot to say about, I guess, cancel culture in the day in, uh, in today's world or whatever. So, uh, I don't know what anybody, I don't know what your personal opinions are on cancel culture or anything like that, but that's mm. what the movie is about. Sure. Uh, is, is about what happens when somebody, even if it's perceived that they are acting inappropriately or whatever, that they can be like their career can might possibly get ruined because of it and like mm. that. But watch the movie because not because of any kind of politics that are involved. Watch the movie because Kate Blanchett is fucking amazing in this. Mm. It is mm. one of the most dynamic performances you'll ever see. A lot of like little weird quirks that don't like show up constantly in an annoying fashion. Mm. Just every once in a while there'll be a quirk. And you'll and and like I think a lot of movies, a lot of performances a lot of times they'll lean into the quirks and so that you you know so that it'll be like something like you're always remembering that character for look at how many times Kate Blanchett just absolutely just somehow nails some she has has what has to be pages of dialogue at some points and just goes through all this stuff with a bunch of history and names and things like that and she's got references that like I, I went went completely over my head as far as uh, the music industry is concerned and everything. I had no idea who she was talking about most of the time or what reference she was, she was making, but watch the movie because of Kate Blanchett. It's really good. All right. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That one's definitely on my radar, so I will try and check it out. All right. Um, all right. So what is our, 
big recommend today, Jerry. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. It's a big recommend. Ace mm-hmm. Master and Commander. The title should have ended there. Uh, I mean, far side of the world. Um, <clears throat> it's a mouthful of a title, and I don't know how much that contributed to its box office mediocrity. Um <clears throat> But this is a movie about a British naval captain um, in early 1800s when Napoleon is basically ruling all of Europe except for England. And he is down around Brazil. And his most recent orders are to find this enemy ship called the Acheron uh, and either sink it, burn it, or take it as a prize. Um, <clears throat> on this boat, he's got Paul Bettany. I'm going to say boat and ship interchangeably mm-hmm, naval people mm-hmm. just get mm-hmm. over that um <clears throat> paul bettany is his ship's doctor he uh, it's implied that he's had something disgraceful in his past or uh that he has taken this post to escape something uh he's also a naturalist um who loves to observe and document animals and nature and insects um <clears throat> and there's also of course a full crew here um and it's fascinating to me how some of the crew just they never get lines you rarely ever see their faces there's just like this whole level of crew that are there to serve the other crew um and i can tell you right now i want no part of being on a boat in early 1800s in the ocean Mm -hmm. even if i'm not being shot at or having uh brain surgery uh the the entire lifestyle looks miserable to me um there is in the fog one guy a young guy who's on watch thinks he sees a ship and so they do all the whole thing and they get everybody up captain gets out of bed and comes up to the deck gets his own spyglass out and there's so much fog you can't really see anything and they begin to realize oh this is this is not a ship this is just a young guy who made a mistake and russell crowe who's good captain says you did the right thing Mm-hmm. And then he's got this nagging feeling and he looks back out over the water again with his spyglass and doesn't see a ship, but he does hear and see the orange p- pops of cannon fire and they are immediately in battle. Uh, and it's the Asheron, the ship he's supposed to be finding. Uh, and they don't have any reason to why that ship would be there right now. Uh, and there's a great scene where Paul Bettany says, you know, maybe he was looking for us. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the battle doesn't go well at all. I'm, su- I'm surprised the ship can even float after this battle. They lose their rudder. They lose nine men. Dozens others are injured. The Acheron is just a bigger ship, uh, has more guns. And uh, Russell Crowe's ship called the Surprise um, <clears throat> When they did fire their cannons in this battle, didn't make a dent. They weren't able to pierce the hull of the Acheron. Um, <clears throat> they do, <clears throat> however, get away by going into the fog uh, and uh, hiding, essentially. So then they're back on the road again. And surprise, surprise, pun intended, uh, the Acheron shows up out of nowhere behind them. Uh, and is pursuing them. And Russell Crowe kicks himself and says, that's twice he's done this to me, and I will not let it happen again. And here they just try and outrun him. Uh, And they put up every sail they've got on the boat and (laughs) 
uh, Jack, which is Russell Crowe's character. And he says, we'll even hold up our, our pocket handkerchiefs if we have to uh, mm-hmm. for extra wind. Uh, and you see the Acheron putting up more sails in the, behind them and trying to catch them. Uh, and it's only nightfall that saves them. Uh, it turns to night. The Acheron is still behind them because they can see their lanterns and they're still firing, just not quite in range yet. And Jack comes up with a genius maneuver to fake the back of their boat yep. with a raft and a sail and some lanterns. And they time the turning on and off of the lanterns perfectly. And this kid who set it out there swims back and then they make a hard turn and they go east. Um, and the Acheron continues through the night following this fake ship. Um, and then there's another great moment where Jack, the captain, g- goes, I feel, I think we've gone f- east far enough. Let's go due south, southwest right now. And just knowing the sea the way Kevin Costner and Waterworld did, uh, he puts him directly behind his enemy, the Asheron. So the Asheron then decides to bolt for the Cape, Cape Horn, go around the bottom of South America. And that's apparently notoriously dangerous seas and it's stormy Mm -hmm. water. And he pushes and pushes and his men can barely take it. And the ship is flooding and they're taking damage. And so finally, he's like, all right, let's just go around the storm. So they go down towards Antarctica, freeze their asses off with some snow, come back (laughs) up around the storm. And that's when he announces his realization that the Acheron has gone to the Galapagos Islands um, and they need to go to the Galapagos Islands. And when they get there, he's going to let his naturalist buddy explore this basically unexplored natural preserve, which will have dozens of species of things that have never even been documented. And I actually really love... Uh, Paul Bettany's like love of nature in this mm-hmm. it, it really comes across as something truly soulful for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, they get there, they find survivors from an attack that say the Asheron took off a few days ago. Um, <clears throat> they take on the survivors because they're good people. Uh, but the captain changes his mind. We're not going to get on the islands. You can't go see your insects. We have to go after the Asheron because he's obsessed Mm -hmm. with killing and taking over this other uh, boat and its captain. And in one of the goofiest things that could possibly happen, and it's so goofy, it feels real, a crew member is attempting to shoot an albatross that's flying around the boat (laughs) and inadvertently shoots the doctor. Um, And there's like a doctor light on board like a junior doctor (laughs) yeah who says well i can probably do this i gotta go read some books first though um so they decide to go back to the galapagos and and get on land where it'd be steady and they have to remove this bullet and and fabric fragment that's entered the body of paul bettany's character and then in what i found to be a harrowing scene uh he does surgery on himself with Mm -hmm. a mirror Mm -hmm. um and gets the bullet out uh, and then he gets to spend a few days recovering, finding these new species and documenting them, putting the lizards in cages. And he's got a little a little buddy um, who's had a traumatic injury early on in the movie who is taken to this naturalist lifestyle. And they go up over the ridge and they see the Acheron on the other side of the Galapagos Islands. And here he abandons his animals and cages and runs as fast as his injury will let him back to the ship to tell the captain, hey, your enemy's on the other side of the island. And there's another really cool scene where the captain notices this stick bug that they have managed to bring back to the boat. And 
Paul Bettany's telling him about, you know, it camouflages itself to look like a stick so that they won't, you know, predators won't know he's there. And that gives the captain an idea because they have to get up close to the Atron if they hope to if they hope to defeat it. They've got so many freaking guns that the hole is nearly impenetrable. He's had a crewman who remembered seeing a, that ship being built when he was in America, basically builds a model of what it looks like and shows that why that ship is so strong and hard to hard to hit with cannonballs and make a difference. So they make themselves look like a whaling ship. They get rid of all of their uniforms. They get rid of all their flags. They put on costumes. He undoes his ponytail for reasons and his mane is flowing um and they wait for the acheron to come and get them and of course it does and when they finally get close enough they unleash all of their cannons right at the mast instead mm -hmm. of firing at the hull uh and that is ultimately how they take the ship um <clears throat> they win the day uh he gives the ship to his first mate as his first command uh, and they go their separate ways only for him to realize that a guy he saw on that boat was actually the captain when he thought he yeah. was lowly somebody else. And mm. so the adventure is on again because that guy's probably going to try and overthrow the first mate and take back the Asheron. Yeah. So the movie ends with him going back out into the sea uh, to go save his buddy. Um, mm -hmm. I am dying to know what you thought of this movie this time around. Yeah, so uh, it's just an interesting uh, dynamic here because the last time I saw this was 20 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, it came out, I guess, you know, I guess it's technically it was like 19 because the movie came out in November of 2003. But um, I, I watched so many movies back in the day, as you did, uh, on a Thursday night, really late at night. And this is a two hour plus movie and you also got to add trailers to it because that's what you're, you're watching trailers when you're doing this stuff too so mm -hmm. uh so two and a half hours uh on a late night uh after you've had a long day of like working and doing a whole bunch of stuff and then you may even still have stuff to do after you finish the movie um uh didn't set well with me this this uh you know watching it back then was just uh i don't know it was a i think it was tedious to me uh, watching it, uh, a few days ago, uh, I just noticed how many things and maybe just a function of age too, but I just love all the techniques that are used in this, mm. uh, getting into the fog, mm. uh, do, you know, you talked about changing the, you know, putting that little boat out there with the lanterns and then, and then turning off one and turning on the other to make it look like that was the back of the boat. And you put that one kid in danger, but you know, yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> Um, but I like the, like the, the, how the, the, the kid, uh, is like, what do you want me to, what are you doing here? What are you, what are you asking me to do? And, and Russell Crowe says, I'm giving you your first command. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so he's, he goes out on this little boat to do this one little task, but the, uh, the, the, for me, the movie is, uh, is an, another like great man versus nature type of thing. I guess you could say it's man versus man, but I think it's more nature than man mm -hmm. versus man. Um, the main reason I say it's man versus nature is that we never really see the enemy captain during this entire time. In fact, it's very Moby Dickish in a way, yeah. uh, where the, 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 you know, the captain is going after something that seems kind of mythological in, in scope. Like yeah. the, we never really see who the, this, this, this Acheron boat is kind of, uh, 
a, a like it's a it's a different kind of boat than they've ever been used to it's a bigger frigate than they've ever seen and it's faster mm-hmm. uh despite its biggest bigger size so it's got a lot of this kind of like you know it's it's really kind of a beast that's out there um and man versus nature not just the fact that it's man versus nature like oh we're like a man challenges the tornado shakes fist at tornado it's not like that it's also man's uh inability to grasp what nature can teach them and i sat there and uh you know paul bettany is going through all these like different things about science and and uh you know he is a darwin before charles darwin essentially is what they're sort of making i think they're saying here this is this this story takes place i think a year before darwin is even born i think the mm. uh, i think the uh, uh the story itself from the book is seven years prior because i think the i think the united states is actually the the enemy in the books yeah I think um, you're right. <clears throat> uh but um but anyway th- Paul Bettany is, is constantly trying to tell him like, we need to slow down and it, and it wouldn't be a big deal if we went to the Galapagos and, and you let me walk across it and pick me up on the other side. Sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you need to sit back and heal. And that's so many times he, even as a great captain, he's forgetting that sometimes you need to sit back and lick your wounds a little bit it bites him in the ass when he doesn't fix that mast. Yep. And later on, he tries to go full speed at this, the ship that is clearly faster than, than them. And it breaks the mast off yep. and it nearly drags them down. It nearly, if it's not for the fact that they cut those ropes at the very end of it, right. Uh, they're, they're, they're sunk. So oh, it's tragic. Well, scene. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I know there's the one guy who's out there who has, who has the poor bastard who has yep. to be left out to sea. And so like Paul Bettany is constantly telling him looking at nature is not a, is not a, you know, a frivolous thing. It's not anything that's, uh, it's not what you say it is. It's you're trying to equate war with, with, uh, uh, you're trying to say war is better than, or is more important than sitting back and looking at nature. One of the best parts of this movie for me is when the kid at, after they get off of the Galapagos the first time, uh, the kid gives him that beetle mm. and he says, you could walked across the entire Island without having run into it. Later on, when he is walking across the entire Island, he discovers that bug yep. and discovers that ship at yep. the same time. Yep. <clears throat> One of my favorite parts of that movie completely G- gives me chills thinking about it right now. Uh, the, how well that was plotted in. Yeah. Um, and there is a moment too, where Bettany says something to the effect that I've, I've always found that the, you know, interest in science and interest in war conflict with each other in some way. I don't remember the exact quote. Mm. He's like, they're always diametrically opposed, but what he finds out in this is that when you start to embrace nature, Mm. you, uh, you, you become a better person. You, you become better at war. And that's what basically what it ends up showing in this now is that good or bad i don't know that's one of those things where like it's not i don't think the movie is sitting there to ready to judge about whether or not learning about nature makes you a better killer or a better you know whatever but by the end of it uh it shows that hey if you if you 
put in some concepts that you learn from nature, you can become a, you can become much better at war. And, and, and that's exactly what these, these guys are. Both of these captains are so amazing at deception and that's mm. human nature. And that's why it's a good man versus nature, uh, type of movie. Um, so yeah, I was completely, uh, out of my element when I watched this for the first time I watch <laughs> it now, it is a masterpiece. And, uh, I forgot that this got nominated for 10 Oscars back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Uh, it, it made $200 million worldwide, but against a $150 million budget, which meant it probably was not profitable at all. Right. In fact, probably lost money in the end. Um, uh, but it, it got 10 nominations. Like I think it ended up winning two cinematography was one that it won. I'm pretty sure of cinematography was, was, a. Uh, Maybe it went, maybe was that one that it won? I can't remember. It won two, but it was in the worst year to possibly be nominated because Lord of the Rings Return of the King was the one that was dominating the Oscars that year. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yes, highly, highly enjoyed. And I will be watching this movie again for the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, so uh, really, really, really liked it. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm fascinated by how much detail went into uh, throwaway background dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. People that you don't even see who's saying it. So when they are first trading with the Portuguese people and there's all these pretty girls in the boat, they're all like cat calling out. When they decide mm -hmm. to, to leave and the captain's like, all right, let's, let's, get, let's get moving on. In the background you hear, put that woman down, Slade. Um, and I mm -hmm. don't know who Slade is or who said that, but it made me laugh. And then <laughs> great. When, when they're approaching the Galapagos, in the back, you see Paul Bettany and then the kids sort of they're talking about this lizard that then goes swimming. And then there's a cormorant that looks flightless. In the background, you hear a guy go, turtles on the beach. And somebody else goes, mm. them's good vittles. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like the movie is packed with that. And it sort of speaks to the compact nature of life on a vessel like that. And mm -hmm. a lesser movie just wouldn't even have that dialogue there. Um, yeah. But um, I'm also fascinated with the history of this. Like, I, as you said, the, the, the books, the Americans ship is the bad guy. Yeah. Um, in real life, the HMS Surprise, the real ship, uh, was at Fort McHenry in 1814 when the Star Spangled Banner was, was written. Yeah. I have yeah. been to Fort McHenry. I used to live in Baltimore. I've been to Fort McHenry a bunch of times. And just knowing that the boat in this movie, in this fictional movie in real life was there part of the bombs bursting in air um yeah it's really cool to me the, the boat they shot on is called it's a replica of a boat called the rose they bought it for a million and a half dollars they paid a million and a half dollars for a, a, a prop now granted you needed it and they only shot 10 days on the water uh, mm -hmm. the rest of it is on a gimbal um <clears throat> like closer to shore right but um just the the detail this is considered one of the most historically accurate movies ever made not just mm -hmm. because of the ship and and but all of the lifestyle stuff the the science the medicine is so medieval like yeah yeah the language surgery, they the, use yeah the, the language, language. <clears throat> just the just the, the just the commands and everything they they'll go through even the most innocuous of commands whereas you know 
when you get to when you start getting into submarine movies you hear nothing but like right full rudder and that's yeah you know <clears throat> all ahead full and that's anything that's action oriented but in master and commander you get all those boring ones too it's like <laughs> yeah. it really adds a lot of flavor to it it really does uh again i want no part of life on a boat in any mm -hmm. well even now but especially in the 1800s um yeah. <clears throat> I love, uh, what's the one last thing I wanted to say? Oh, I just love the quote at the end when he tells um, Paul Bettany to name a shrub after me. Something prickly and hard oh, to eradicate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just think that's yeah. a great line. That's such a great that character. A great He's so complex. He does have seemingly the right motives, but does sort of let obsession creep in Moby Dickishly. Um, <clears throat> to coin my own phrase for the day mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yes. i'm so glad yeah. that you enjoyed it this time around uh i liked Absolutely. it uh, as much as ever and uh i'm excited to see what the uh, super secret surprise double feature is going to be for today Shh. be very very quiet secret what secret a dirty little secret i tell you something i've never told anyone all right so i am looking over in the chat and they've come up with a lot of excellent ones especially things that uh happen on the sea and under the sea and on you know hunt for an october has been mentioned and mm -hmm. uh, perfect storm and somebody joked twister and uh <laughs> you know um and uh i'm sure crimson tide somewhere fits into all this but uh, I, I decided to be a land lubber on, uh, this mm. one. I guarantee you, none of, none of you thought of this double feature when, uh, when you started coming up with your suggestions, um, thinking about a man and his nature and, and, uh, a relentless pursuit all the way through to the, to the detriment of, of these characters and everything. I thought of the movie heat, um, Ooh. this oh. is where, Al Pacino is is chasing Robert De Niro all the way through it and much to his detriment all the way through it to the detriment of his marriage mm -hmm. and uh and uh really any any kind of personal relationships and I, both of them to a mm -hmm. certain extent have to have to run into that to be as good as they are at what they do mm -hmm. um and uh this is a theme that we've seen in a lot of movies where just you know the 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 profession gets in the way of of the per personal life and uh, uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Uh, how can you get, how can you get better than that? Right. So I felt like heat was a perfect uh, companion to this. If you watch these two back to back, you may not initially see that connection, but uh, that was something that I thought of when I, I like that a, a, a ton. Like I, mm -hmm. I was, I had picked wrath of Khan as my own prediction. Yeah. Uh, as Jagged in the chat did, uh, and Dave. Rathacon's um, <clears throat> a great, great one. Only because of that three-dimensional thinking, lose him in the nebula fog. <laughs> right. Really yeah. felt similar. But that Heat is a great call. The one thing that bothers me about Heat is that Val Kilmer's character is just out there in the world fucking up, and he doesn't have any Robert De Niro's to look after him anymore. So yeah. even though he gets away, he's going to jail in six oh, months. Sure. He'll find um, a way. Yeah. No, I think Heat is a great pick. Love that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. All right, then. What are we going to watch next week for all right. episode 53? Um, so, yeah. So, so next week's homework uh, is a movie that I have small recommended on this here podcast before. Mm -hmm. And it's time for a deep dive. It's Devil in a Blue Dress, Carl Ooh. Franklin's movie 
uh, that uh, introduced me to Don Cheadle for the first time, I believe. Uh, but Denzel Washington, obviously, in this, and uh, Jennifer Beals. Um, this is a, a a great little like detective story. Not necessarily Denzel Washington's not really. I don't think he's a traditional detective in this, but he is hired to find this woman played by Jennifer Beals in the movie. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a classic sort of noir film. And so, uh, I can't wait to deep dive this one. Uh, I feel like this movie doesn't get enough, uh, play these days. IMDB is under seven. I don't understand that at all. Hmm. Um, maybe, maybe next week I'll hear some opinions on the, on the chat that, uh, hmm. and I don't know, have you ever seen this movie? I have, but it has been 15, 20 years. I don't mm -hmm. remember. I don't remember it at all. I remember liking it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That, that's it. Um, yeah. It does look like this movie is on Amazon prime with a regular subscription. Mm -hmm. And on Tubi with ads, um, yep. if you don't have Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited to revisit this. It's been, uh, like I said, 15, 20 years. And I like Den Denzel every time I see him. So <laughs> this, is, this is a classic, uh, obviously Denzel's never bad, but this is a classic Denzel performance that I think everybody will enjoy. Uh, and the mystery is, uh, well, you know, the, the, the noir uh, elements of it, I think are going to wrap people up and everything, but I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me why this movie is not above seven. You would think that it would be on the IMDb. IMDb is uh, such a harsh judge, mm -hmm. such a harsh mistress. It um, kind of is. So anyway, right. there you go. Well, we got time for some questiones. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Let's dive in. Uh, name a director and a classic animated movie. You like you would like them to make into a live action movie. Example: Quentin Tarantino's Dumbo. <laughs> you know, I would like to see Quentin Tarantino remake just about any of these movies. I honestly, <laughs> um, I think that would just be fun. Um, but um, uh, I thought that it would be cool if Alex Garland did a remake of Akira. Um, uh, if you're if you're and and you're doing a live action uh version of that movie uh akira of course is is you know untouchable for a lot of people but mm. if you made it live action you put somebody who's like really good at this kind of zone like alex garland is uh i think it would be pretty badass yeah and yeah what 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 no what i might like it i like it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was thought, gonna say i, I was watching garland anything i really mm -hmm. like that guy i'm not i didn't i haven't seen men yet but uh mm -hmm. yeah men was uh i don't know i didn't like men but yeah not uh, too many people did but uh but for for the most part alex garland has made me happy so oh yeah um, oh yeah so i feel like uh you know uh running through all that, all the technological stuff of the, of Akira and all that. I think he would do a great job with that. So that's my answer. I like it. I like it. Mm -hmm. I need to tell Jagged in the chat to get out of my brain because I also am choosing Disney's Robin Hood with the animals. Um, we've mm. had too many Robin Hood movies. Um, just, just, that's just a fact. We had too many Robin Hood movies. But <laughs> yeah. The Disney animated one, there's a mischievous and a playfulness about that that almost only the kevin costner one even hints at um but I, I think if you put edgar wright on it um who's kind of the master of zany um 
mischief action. Uh, I, that, that, that Disney Robin Hood is probably my favorite classic Disney animated movie. Mm-hmm. I've seen that a zillion times. But uh, mm-hmm. I just feel like instead of making a Robin Hood action movie like we keep doing or romance movie, let's make it a wild romp through the forest. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Running through some of the stuff in chat, Josh says, David Ventures Fantasia. Okay. Ha! So... Uh, I've noticed something one I've noticed something about this chat. Sometimes I'm like, "Oh, that's a joke." And they're like, "I wasn't joking." And then sometimes <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, that's serious." And oh, I was joking. So, I'm just going to read these things off. I'm not going to comment on their jokes or not. <laughs> so, um uh so uh, Taika YTT's Robin Hood and you were talking about how Jagan Jagan <clears throat> needs to get out of your head. Mm-hmm. Uh Dave Ruff says Edgar Wright does Avatar the Last Airbender. Oh, I wouldn't mind seeing that uh jcd says wes anderson i don't care the animated film just wes <laughs> anderson absolutely he's done two good ones um uh, uh james says the first third of wally would work for terrence malick absolutely That's isaac awesome. florentine with dragon ball yep and uh <laughs> slab says wes anderson's great mouse detective i remember <laughs> that may have that may have been one of my first movies m- one of my first animated movies and uh theaters one of the one of them it was one of the uh one of them. but anyway scorsese's uh, all dogs go to heaven yes <laughs> there you go martin scorsese's all dogs go to heaven <laughs> <laughs> all right uh what's a movie that's so good at satire that people confuse it for being genuine um mm. i stole the best answer here i apologize uh, okay that's fine uh i'm gonna say american psycho um mm. I, it's I, I i do know that it's hard sometimes we there's a lot of movies out there that aren't serious but they are presented as serious whatever i don't know how i don't know how you might think american psycho is being straight laced or anything like that but there are people out there who would look at american psycho and say well that guy is crazy and not thinking that it might be all in his head or that it might be a metaphor for some other uh, nefarious bad deeds uh that he's doing throughout the movie but uh, christian bale plays that so well uh all the way through and uh and it has uh um it has hints of a like a tom cruise or somebody like that all the way through it like uh not that tom cruise is this person but the the way he acts is very tom cruise like in some ways but american psycho is one of those that i feel like people take a little bit too seriously sometimes and then I don't think too many people think this, but I, I I actually went to Google to see if this very question was asked uh, uh, elsewhere. Of course, there's articles about this type of thing. And apparently this is Spinal Tap is one of those movies. Hmm. People, from what I understand, I heard, I've heard this, this is anecdotal, but I've heard that there were bands who watched this as Spinal Tap and said they couldn't watch it because it was just too real to their to what actually happens in in real life, like to real bands. So okay. like so it hits that close to home that it that it they couldn't laugh at it. Um but uh but that was another one that came up that was really interesting. Anyway. I the chat is all up in my fucking brain today and it's pissing me off but uh <laughs> anything Verhoeven did um like robocop spent mm-hmm. probably five years being considered a badass action movie before anyone raised a finger and said is it maybe making fun of where we are headed as a society and now of course 
any yeah. film discussion person is going to say RoboCop is a brilliant satire. But it feels like Verhoeven's movies take a decade or more, like Starship Troopers. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to say smartest guy in the room shit, but when I saw that with Josh in the theater, we saw the trailer, we were excited. We knew exactly what that movie was when we watched it and we loved it. I had a, a fucking bug figurine in college. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like 10 years later, everybody was like, Starship Troopers is a brilliant satire. It wasn't mm-hmm. just a bad film. The acting might be bad on purpose. Same with Showgirls. I mean, it just feels mm-hmm. like he's always laughing at us. Uh, and it takes us a yeah. long time to realize that he's laughing at us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, and American specifically, because this is exactly what, you know, yes. this is try to find any reason to go to war basically is, is sort of the, the movie's theme throughout there. Um, uh, I had an interesting time writing sins for starship troopers back in the day. Cause it's cause you have to take everything that happens in that movie as over the top exaggerated, yeah. uh, but still close enough to home where it's like, oh man, I don't know. Is this, is this, should I take pot shots at this? I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, Starship Troopers is definitely one of those. I, I watched it. Now I was 20 years old when Starship Troopers came out. And when I watched that movie, I was like, God, this is so bad. And it's, it came in the, it came in the middle of all these other sci-fi movies that, yep. that were fun sci-fi movies that had come out. Men in Black came out the same summer, mm-hmm. you know, all, all these like stuff like that. And you watch Starship Troopers and you're like, what is this trying to be? What is this thing thinks it's trying to be? Who are these actors? Oh my God, these people are terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, you're like, oh yeah, for, I didn't realize that. I didn't think give it put into account that Verhoeven made this movie <laughs> and that he's he does this all the time, no matter what. It's always over the top, exaggerated for a reason. So mm-hmm. all right. Let's do another one and then we'll call it okay. a day. Cool. I've seen it suggested that Oscar nominees should be reviewed five years after the award to see which wins hold up. If the other noms are more memorable and whether or not your views of the winner have changed, it would be pretty cool mm. to hear your thoughts on the 2018 Oscar nominations five years on. You know, I looked at the winners of the acting categories that year and I'm pretty okay with who won. I I, I do know that there are people who are constantly shafted though for nominations and, um, and whatever, but I thought more love for hereditary uh, would have been great. Uh, mm. Tony Collette, especially, mm. um, more love. I mean, black Klansman did get nominations, but, uh, but John David Washington probably should have gotten nominated out of that group. Uh, Adam driver ended up getting nominated, which is fine. He's great in it, but I felt like John David Washington was, was doing pretty great in there as well. The hate you give is a movie that just didn't get any kind of traction. It feels like, in fact, I didn't see that movie until like two years after it came out, I think. Um, but the hate you give would have been a great one. Mm. Um, the ballad of Buster Scruggs, which, uh, was basically a Netflix movie, but it had, it had a theatrical run and it did have get some Oscar nominations thought could have been another one that could have gotten a little bit more love, uh, from the Academy back in 2018. Um, and another group that got nominated for best picture, I know which one you want out of this, but out of the whole group that was nominated, I wanted black Klansman to win. Mm. I know there was no chance of it, of it winning, but that's the one that I wanted out of that, that group that got nominated that year. 
but uh anyway that's my that's my two cents that's on, good uh, 2018 yeah i still think roma is the best picture of 2018 for me mm -hmm. as it was then uh but uh one thing that stood out to me was bad times at the el royale um mm -hmm. specifically i feel like there were technical awards it could have been nominated for in terms of set design um and mm -hmm. then acting i think cynthia Rivo and jeff bridges uh maybe even more people in the movie but at least those two uh were just crackling electric mm. and they got nominated for non-oscar fringe related things uh but the oscars showed no love to bad times at the El royale and uh, yeah and it, and it's one of those movies it's it's dark it's comedy it's whatever it's 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 never one that gets any love from the academy unfortunately and that's too bad because then five years later everybody's like that movie was great why didn't that get more you know attention yeah. blah 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 um martial arts film freak says kubo and the two strings losing yeah. utopia that now that was a bad that's a really bad miss on the academy's part yeah. and i'm going to guess that it's because most of the academy members did not watch kubo and they saw zootopia and disney yes. put on the full court press and that's the reason why the oscars are stupid a lot of times i mean every well, year they do this inter like anonymous interview with oscar voter and and it's always like oh i've only seen two of these movies and it's just i mean these are the people who are making the decision we shouldn't give any weight to that awards show yeah uh, and uh there's others who say moana should have won over zootopia and moana should have also beaten la la land for song i don't know about that but that's a that's that's definitely a a a a, a good take on the 2018 i do Oscars. love i'm not a big fan of that weird ass fucking turtle song but i'd otherwise adore the music in moana um so uh i i totally understand that that we know the way song uh, i hope i hope awesome. it's called weird ass turtle song <laughs> it's not i don't remember what it's called but i didn't like obviously that. not it's disney but it would be great if it was just called weird ass turtle song um uh all right well <sighs> that's gonna do it for this week next week's um uh next week's uh, movie is devil in a blue dress hope that you guys uh enjoy that one as we talk about it next week uh but uh, once again thank you chat for coming in and uh and uh, making our show better for sure uh you guys are always on point so mm -hmm. um uh we will uh see you next week All see right, everybody. bye, bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com Well, the first few minutes of my audio is going to be fun for Jonathan. Yeah, same same here. I've had my uh, audition on for like 10 minutes, and I've just been sitting here like eating and drinking and, you know, <laughs> probably farting and burping and all sorts of other stuff. So, so I, I told you a couple weeks ago about this 
new lemon lime starry beverage from Pepsi. Right? Mm -hmm. This is they're replacing Sierra Mist, and I told you that the zero that I bought tasted like the real thing, mm -hmm. and for some reason had ten calories. Mm -hmm. So I went to the store and I bought a twelve pack of the zero starry in cans. This is a twelve ounce can, mm -hmm. and those say zero calories. Mm. Confused, I went back to the store the next day and looked at the bottle of zero sugar starry that I had bought, and it does indeed say 10 calories. Hmm. So why does the bottle 20 ounce have 10 calories, but the can 12 ounce has zero? Why would adding a few more ounces add 10 calories? I don't know. I'm baffled um, by this. Unless it's a preservative of some sort that they're putting in for bottles? And maybe, yeah, maybe the bottle doesn't preserve as well as the can? I don't That's know. weird, though. No, I need to investigate if this is the case for other beverages I, then. Because I do know I do know that they can probably get away with saying zero if it's like less than five or something like that, probably. Mm, My mm. guess. And what if it is at like 4.5 calories with the can, and then when they put it in the bottle, it suddenly jumps to something where they need to put that 10 on there. I don't know. I don't know. You it's, know I wish some, my brain. You know there's some fuckery going on there. Pepsi.com. This is great radio right here, mm -hmm. honestly. These websites today, man, they made this for like nine-year-olds. I know. As I scroll down, there's a can of Starry that's animating across and bouncing like it's playing Pong on the website, and it's <laughs> maddening. Also, I told you about this gas station that had not taken down the sign of the previous gas station mm -hmm. and was basically free advertising. Literally five days after I told you that, they painted over it in blue. Yeah. And it makes me think that we're living in a simulation or the CEO of that gas station company listens to Recotopia yeah. and heard me say that and, and called down the thunder. Are you still enjoying The Last of Us? I am. Yeah? Uh, I'm hoping everybody who's watching the stream is enjoying it, uh, wa watching me play it and everything. It sure seems like it every time I popped in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how much of a quote unquote character I am when I'm playing these games. You know, like <laughs> um, I try to come up with some quips, and every once in a while, I'm like, "Man, that was funny." And then I'll look at the chat, and there's like nobody talking about it. And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Or nobody got that reference, <laughs> or something like that. And I'm like, "All right, I guess that wasn't funny." Or you guys didn't hear it. <laughs> well, it's, is, are you doing Dennis Miller type deep cut references that nobody gets? Uh, like not that really. One time was... when you quoted, <laughs> what was that movie you quoted on the Bonus Pod? That uh, oh, the Aaron Brockovich. We oh said we yeah, had this Aaron water Brockovich. brought in special. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we brought that water in special for you. I did this thing last night where I kind of went through Zazu talking about you know. Uh, uh, Simba and Nala or whatever, and like, you are to be married, a fianced, you are betrothed, blah, 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 and and nobody said anything about it. I was like, that's the Lion King. Why did he put it in quotes? He must have found the quote. He must have Maybe found he it. wanted to be remembered for that line, like when they build the Lincoln Memorial for Dicer, we would inscribe this quote on the wall behind him. Dicer says from the internet. Okay, so we'll just yeah, okay. we'll we'll just we'll just credit the internet on that one. What a producer! Mm -hmm. That's production right there. Mm -hmm. I'm impressed. Right. It's become a meme since, but The Office had that thing where Steve Carell 
has a quote where it was like, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And it says Wayne Gretzky. And then it says, it says, uh, what's his, what's the Michael Scott directly underneath that. So, like, <laughs> so it's quotes, it attributes it to Wayne Gretzky and then puts Michael Scott underneath. <laughs> <laughs> I've told you this story. I don't think I've told it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to name names, but I had a friend oh, I went I know who you're talking to the club with one night. And he basically, I I was not good with ladies. Mm -hmm. I was just, I didn't like myself. I was not, I'm getting a phone call. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, he was like, I'm going to, you know, go home with a girl tonight. You just watch what I do. And I mean, he literally went up to and approached like 30 different women Mm -hmm. throughout the course of the night. And I saw many of them have disdain for him. Mm -hmm. And the last woman he approached, as the lights were on and they were shooing everybody out of the bar, they were both drunk, they started making out, and I guess that's success? I don't know. I mean... <laughs> in that setting where everybody sort of knows that you're out in the social watering hole and sure. whatever, but like if you were at, the say, the mall and you were going to... <laughs> <laughs> or a Little League game. A Little um, League game, yeah. He was not disrespectful yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to any of these women. It was He would usually just say, walk up and say, hey, how you doing? And say his name. Uh, but yeah, I did not a- adopt that tactic mm-hmm. after that evening. Um, 